Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. In 2019, the American Poison Control Centers had more than 4,000 calls for crotalid pit viper snake bites. As snake bite season is upon us, pharmacists and other clinicians are challenged with making critical decisions around antivenins. I'm Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director in the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence and your program host. Joining me today to shed some light on antivenins is Dr. Philippe Mettler. He's a Pharmacy Executive Director at Vizient and an expert in emergency medicine. Welcome, Phil. Thanks for having me. So besides the obvious, what are some of the issues with snake bites? The obvious is that snake bites are painful, that's for sure. But I think it's important to note the manifestation of snake bites. There are actually about a quarter of all snake bites are considered dry bites. And what I mean by dry bites is that, indeed, the snake did not transfer venom into the person that they bit. And therefore, those dry bites would effectively be managed a little differently than an envenomation would be. So do I have to worry about snake bites no matter where I am in the country? Pretty much everywhere, yes, in the United States you do. Fun fact, in Hawaii, there are no venomous snakes at all. So I think you're good to go if you live in Hawaii. But otherwise, yes, the predominant snakes that we are concerned with are the pit vipers. And those include our crotalus species, which are familiar rattlesnakes, as well as our echistrodons, which are our cottonmouths and copperheads. And the lesser known, smaller variety of the cisturus as well, which are the pygmy rattlesnakes, which you would find in the northern region of the U.S., the Great Lakes area, for instance. What are some of the clinical manifestations of snake bites? I like to break it up into a couple components. There's a neurotoxic component. And so the neurotoxic component, for instance, numbness, muscle weakness, paralysis, which you see with particular snakes such as the Mojave rattlesnake. But what you most frequently see is the myotoxicity, cytotoxicity, and blood dyscrasias, where you see cell tissue damage, tissue swelling around the bite and progressing of swelling, as well as the blood dyscrasias, which really are an increased incidence of bleeding risk, such as decrease in fibrinogen, platelet, decreased things of that nature. So how big of an issue is this? Well, in 2019, the American Poison Control Centers had more than 4,000 calls for crotalid pit viper snake bites. Oh, that's quite a bit. What are some of the agents that have been used historically to treat some of these snake bites? Beyond supportive care, the most definitive treatment option are antivenins. The earlier antivenin FDA approved was the Wyeth product, and that product was fraught with some issues. One, it had a high vial burden, typically starting off with 15 plus vials as a start. The other thing was that it was relatively unclean as a product. There was a high incidence of allergic type reactions and serum sickness associated with the product. It was a horse-derived product, and if you recall back in science class, when we're talking about antibodies, you have your FAB variant portion, and then you have this FC portion. And the FC portion of that Wyeth product was really known to increase the incidence or risk of that serum sickness. It was considered a dirtier product and led to sometimes a hesitance in using it to manage snake bites. Anything new since then? 
Well, yes, in 2000, we developed the much cleaner product, which only included the FAB portion of the antibody, and that was CROFAB. And that led to much greater acceptance of antivenin use because it had a much lower incidence of adverse reactions, serum sickness, and allergic reactions. But on the flip side, there were some burdens with it. One of the key burdens originally was the amount of time it actually took to prepare the product. And that was less maybe an issue of impacting the patient quality of care and more maybe a burden on the pharmacy department. The duration of time it took to prepare one start of antivenin could be upwards of an hour. And that was definitely something that was very burdensome to the pharmacy to deliver care to the rest of the hospital. Since then, we've learned that by instilling more volume into those vials, 20 mLs into those vials, we can dramatically decrease that time to prepare the product. But there still is time burden associated with those. Any other choices in the U.S. market now? Well, actually, there was a recent FDA approval of a new drug, antivenin, by the brand name of Anavip. It was approved in 2019, though it does have a much longer history in the Central American market where it was originally manufactured in Mexico. And even more interestingly, in April, it had an updated approval for the management of all North American pit vipers in both adults and pediatrics. So that is inclusive of rattlesnakes, copperheads, and cottonmouths. So Phil, how do these products compare? A few variances between these products. I think one of the key ones to take into consideration is that the half-life of Crofab is much shorter, actually, than the half-life of Anavip. And in theory, having an antivenin with a longer half-life may actually offer some additional benefits, particularly when you think about when administering a medication or an antivenin. If the venom lasts longer than the antivenin itself, then I could actually have recurrence of the envenomation after I had initial control of the envenomation. And so if I had a product that had such a long half-life that it was longer than the duration of the venom itself, then maybe I'd have some additional benefits just from that. That's probably the key difference from a theoretical perspective. When looking at the study data, there is actually a trial that was done looking at Anavip versus Crofab. And in that trial, they did focus specifically on blood dyscrasias, any kind of adverse blood coagulation, particularly in the recurrence of. Once we achieved initial control of the envenomation, was there any benefit or advantage of one drug versus the other to prevent that recurrence of blood dyscrasias? And indeed, in that trial, what they ultimately found was that there may have been a benefit with the use of Anavip for reducing the recurrence of blood dyscrasias. The question is whether or not that is clinically significant. That might be a different question to answer. I think ultimately overall, though, when we look at these two products, their differences are likely less important than their similarities. And their similarities are that they are both highly effective and very clean products relative to the original Wyeth product. So with Anavit being the newcomer to the U.S. market, what's the uptake nationally? Actually, Gretchen, that's an excellent question. And I expect the results to change in the very near future because of its recent updated approval. 
But historically, if we go back to 2019 on the original approval of Anavip, it was really originally approved for rattlesnake bites. So what you found was an increased uptake in areas where rattlesnake bites were prevalent, rattlesnake envenomations, but you did not see a rapid intake in areas where copperheads and cottonmouths were predominant envenomations. And the reason for this was in the landmark trial, they focused more on the recurrence of blood dyscrasias as the outcome. The problem there is cottonmouths and copperheads notoriously don't cause blood dyscrasias. So to get that as part of the result would be really impossible, particularly to show any kind of difference to the competitor drug, in this case being Crofab. So the FDA at the time didn't approve it because it felt like, well, there wasn't really information or data to show that Anavip was somehow superior in overall management. Well, that has recently changed. Updated information has been provided to the FDA, and now it has been approved again for all pit viper snakes in North America that do include copperheads and cottonmouths. Now, I'm sure we're going to see a very rapid uptick in its utilization. Can you envision a scenario where you would consider carrying both of the newer antivenin products? In my opinion, I would say no, I would not want to carry both products for a couple of reasons. One, they are both extremely costly products. And to maintain that in the inventory would definitely be a burden for hospitals. The other and probably more concerning would be that there are some nuances in these products with regards to dosing and administration. I would not want to have both products where I have to try to think about one versus the other. In my opinion, when I look at both of these products, they are both going to work relatively similarly, and there would be no need to have two variant products. Yeah, that makes sense. What do the national guidelines tell us about how to use these agents? Well, actually, there are no published guidelines in this space for management of envenomations. There was a clinical position published by the American Academy of Emergency Medicine, uh, but even that clinical statement is now obsolete uh, due to the new indication for Anavit. So should there be guidelines then? Yeah, I think there should be guidelines. Having experience in this arena and working throughout the country with envenomations, I feel like we have a paucity of information when it comes to how to identify and effectively manage envenomations. Not specifically which antivenin to use, but when should I be even using an antivenin? How long? What dose? What's my monitoring parameters? I think it would be nice to have formalized, standardized guidelines that would be available nationally. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense, and hopefully that's something we'll see in the future. Phil, thank you so much for sharing your insights. And to our listeners, please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening.